Welcome to the Riverwood Chapel podcast. We're so excited you're here. Please check out our other content and video uploads at riverwoodchapel.org. Thank you. Well, good morning. Who's ready for the big game today? Oh, wow. I wasn't expecting that. Everybody's like, uh, there's, a, there's a game? What? There's a big game. It's called the Super Bowl. Over 100 million viewers will watch this game. So are you ready? You probably have some snacks. Who's got special snacks ready? Go, ready to go. All right, special snacks. Some people got their jerseys ready. Some people have the, the game within the game that they ask questions about and all of this readiness. And so a lot of times to gauge readiness, we ask questions of knowledge. Like how much do you know about something can really give us an idea of are you really ready? Do you know what's happening? And so Pastor Jeff and I went to our staff to kind of gauge their readiness of the Super Bowl to ask questions, and this is what we found out. Let's watch this together. Name this person right here. Name this person on this sheet of paper. Who is that? I have no idea. You have no idea? No idea. What position does he play? Don't care. Are you ready? Are you ready? She doesn't care. For the big game of the Super Bowl? I think so. Okay, you ready? Name this person. Ron Kowski. Ron Gronkowski. Nice one, Gary. Paris Kelsey. Name this person. Uh, the weekend. Spell weekend. W-E-E-K-N-D. The mustache is, how would you complete that sentence? The mustache. Terrible. 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 All right. Name this person. Who's that person? Oh, that's the singer. The singer. The singer. I don't know his name. He's performing the halftime show. Yeah. Do you know who he is? What I is don't know his name. I just know he's the singer. Are you ready for the big game? All right, Ben, don't let us down. Johnny? Johnny? Who's Johnny? He throws the ball. Good one, Ben. Ridiculous on the mustache. All right. Name this person. And what will Tom Brady do after the game at 43 years old? He will go to Disney World. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready for the Super Bowl? Yes. All right. Name this person. Who is that person? Tom Brady. Tom Brady is not correct. That is not correct. The Gronk. Are you ready, Josh? Come on. Come on, Josh. No. Surely you know 
Surely he knows Tom Brady, right? Who is this? Who is this? 
exercise, and, and we all know why. Why do they do it? They do it for game day. That's why they go through all of this training and exercise. And that's exactly what Paul is doing here for us. He's pulling all of us into the gym, and we're ready to now work out. This is about training. This is about exercise. This is about five words that he wants us to know. And I liken this to like circuit training. You know what circuit training is, right? You go over here, you do this exercise, and then you do this exercise, and you do this exercise. All of them linked together to prepare you for game day. And so we're now going to be heading into the gym. Who wants to go to the gym this morning, right? Yes, Matt's kind of iffy on the gym, but we need to go to the gym. So let's go to the gym. Five words that he wants us to know. And the first word, and all these five words are right here in the passage. I'm going to highlight them. Those he foreknew, he predestined, he called, justified, glorified. He links all of these together on the circuit training of exercise for us. And so let's go and kind of look at these individually. So the first place he wants us to start is working out and understanding and knowing this word of foreknowledge. Foreknew. He foreknew. And it has a very simple definition. It means this, to know something ahead of time. God knows something ahead of time. And this goes all the way back to the very beginning. He knows something ahead of time. Now, when I think of knowing things ahead of time, a lot of times I think of this movie, Back to the Future 2. Anyone remember this movie? This old classic well, if you remember, there's a character named Biff. And Biff, he takes this sports almanac from the trash, and he now goes in back into, the, into history so that he can now predict what's going to happen. He had this knowledge of all of these events. He gets rich and betting perfectly. How did he know all of this? Well, he had foreknowledge. It's kind of like what our God has as well, but it's different. Not only does he know everything, our God, but this word of foreknowledge is rooted in this thing of relationship. It's not just rattling off random facts. No, foreknowledge, if you re look at this word, it means to know. If you go into the Old Testament, you'll see that it's always wrapped around relationship in a relationship of love. Let me give you an example. There's hundreds of examples. Here's one of them. Out of the book of Jeremiah, this is what it says. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. There's foreknowledge right there. I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. There it is. There's one example. Foreknowledge is this thing of relationship rooted in love. One commentator, he made up his own brand new word. He calls this God's for love. For love. It's because it's like foreknowledge and love together. His for love for human beings. All right, so that's the first word. We got to know that one. All right, we can kind of buy in. Yeah, I understand God, who, who from eternity, be, eternity into, the, into the beginning, he knows everything. All right, next word. This next word's a little bit harder on the circuit training of working out. It's a difficult word. 
It's not difficult to define, but maybe to wrap our minds around. Notice the second word. It's the word, those he foreknew, he also predestined. Predestined? Well, again, this has a, a simple definition. It, it, it means that not only did God know something from the future, but he also then made decisions ahead of time as well. It means to decide ahead of time. Somebody was asking me uh, this past week, so do we believe, do you believe in this predestination thing? And I was, and here's the easy answer. The easy answer is this. Well, it's right there in the Bible. Of course we do. But the, really the question behind the question, there have been volumes written. This is a deep word. We're now swimming in the, the deep part of the pool when we start talking about predestination because it brings up questions like this. Because not only did God know something ahead of time, but he made decisions. Based on what? Why did he choose the things he chose? Did he look into the future and see how horrible you were going to be? And so he made a special decision for you. And he saw how great you were going to be. Is that how he makes decisions? That's one question. How about this question? Do I even have real choice? Do I have a, actually a real choice in anything? God made all the choices ahead of time. Am I just some kind of just puppet kind of moving through time? Do I even have real choices? It seems like everything could be just determined. It seems so fatalistic. And how could God choose some people and not others? And what's, what's all that about? That seems, and as you can tell, the questions keep mounting one upon another. But here's what we do know. Because many times when we start asking those questions, we're removing it from what we see here in the scriptures. And when we see this word of predestination, it isn't an impersonal kind of word. It's very personal. And much like foreknowledge, predestination is about relationship rooted in love. Well, how do I know that? Look at this verse out of Ephesians. Paul, in a different letter, he will say this. Notice, in love, oh, interesting, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Fascinating word. It's built in this thing of relationship. We are adopted. Why? Because he loves us. And so it's a very personal word. The Bible affirms this, that God has predestined, but it also affirms that we also have real choices. How can both of these things happen together? Well, our God, his thoughts are above our thoughts and his ways are above our ways. And these things can happen in his world. And our world is not fatalistic. It is designed and, and cared for by a God of love who's wanting all to come to a knowledge of him. In a different book of the Bible, it says he desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He doesn't force himself on human beings who have real choices, even though he knows ahead of time what will happen and has chosen so. And so when we start swimming in these kinds of questions, we start wondering, what is this all based on? And we run up against words like this. It's based off of his love and his mercy and his grace. And those are hard words to penetrate because, once again, his thoughts are above 
our thoughts. But here's the word that we know. It's he has chosen before the foundations of the world. He has made choices. I don't understand them, but I trust him in those. Now, next week, we're going to get into it even more. Even if you have more questions, Romans chapter 9, we're going to start swimming even further into this deep end of the pool. All right, so the first two words on the circuit, foreknowledge and predestination before the foundations of the world. The third word, the next exercise that we get to is in this word right here. It's the word called. Those he foreknew, he predestined. Those he predestined, he called. He called. What does it mean to be called? Well, now we're not talking about before the foundations of the world. We're talking in the lifespan of human beings. He calls people. Here's a, here's a definition. I had a, a professor in seminary. His name was Wayne Grudem. He defines calling this way. It's an act of God, the Father, speaking through the human proclamation of the gospel in which he summons people to himself in such a way that they respond in saving faith. See, this is a word that defines who we are right here in our lifespan, calling, those who have been called. And so many times God uses parents to be the ones who call. In those moments at bedtime, when you're talking to your kids, there's a moment maybe of of calling. Maybe it's in a coffee shop. He uses a moment of calling. Maybe it's a relative, maybe it's a stranger, maybe it's a TV show, maybe it's a church, maybe it's a Sunday morning watching something at home. He might even use these moments in his calling. Have you been called into a saving relationship with him because of his son, Jesus Christ? If you have, here's some homework. I would love for you to tell your story of calling to someone this week. Tell the story. How were you called? What did it look like? What did it sound like? Who who did he use to call you to understand the things of the gospel? You see, this word of calling isn't just random and impersonal. Once again, look at this verse. It's about being something rooted in relationship. He says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ. That comes out of 1 Corinthians. Again, rooted in relationship, rooted in love. I was talking to someone after first hour. They came up to me and said, February 20th, 1967. I said, what's that? She said, that was the day I was called. I remember it. He spoke to me. What is your moment of calling? And if you're watching or if you're here and you're thinking, I don't even know what you're talking about. What do you mean being called? Maybe this is the moment he's realizing that you can't do it on your own. You, you've been trying to live life, and you've been trying to deal with your own sinfulness by outweighing it with enough goodness, and you think you're set. That's not how it works. Maybe in this moment, he's calling you to say, I want to have someone step in and take care of that for you. His son, Jesus Christ, is the one who does that. If you want to know more about that, I would love to speak with you afterwards. If you're watching, please reach out. This is what we're passionate about here, this thing of of calling, of what Jesus Christ has done. 
All right, so it's that third exercise that moves us to the fourth one. And the fourth one on the circuit training is linked to this idea of calling. It's this word of justified. Notice that. For those he foreknew, those he predestined, those he called, now the fourth is he has justified. And justified, we've looked at this word before in Romans, it is a legal term that means to be declared innocent. There's a declaration. You are now innocent. And again, it's, when we hear that it's a declaration, it's legal, a lot of times we think it's impersonal and it's far removed. But once again, let me remind you, in the context of the scriptures, the word justification is One, rooted in relationship, rooted in love as well. Why do I say that? Well, let me just show you a little bit earlier uh, in Romans. Notice, again, look for the relationship, look for the love. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified, there it is, by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Did you see it? Relationship. Working out. Knowing this word. We have been justified because of what somebody else has done. Not because of us. We are justified because of Jesus Christ. And it's out of his love, love, love for people. So God shows his love from beginning to our lifespan. We're working out these. Now we move to the fifth word. The fifth word moves beyond our life into the time that we pass away and head into a different experience. Notice the word that Paul uses. He talks about this moment of being glorified. Glorified. Again, the definition is that moment that we will, after we pass away, go and meet Jesus face to face with a resurrected body, new earth, new heaven, that moment that we will be with him that will be not just in a moment of time, but will expand into eternity future, glorified. And to no surprise, here it comes. It's rooted in relationship, rooted in love. Look at this verse right here. A little bit uh, later, or earlier in Romans, we saw this. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified, glorified with him. Here's relationship. We are children. We are heirs. We are the ones who then inherit this. And the most wonderful part about this word glorified is the tense of this verb. Because in the tense of this verb, it's as if Paul is saying, he's looking into the future and he's saying, this is something that has finished. This has taken place. It's complete. We are glorified. And you're wondering, wait, how could that happen? But in God's perspective, for those whom he has called and those he has predestined, he has glorified And what Paul is communicating is this. For those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's secure. It's secure. There's great assurance. Nothing can happen to that. No one can snatch you from the Father's hand. It's a beautiful, beautiful word to know. There's great assurance. 
And so notice what Paul has done. He has used five words to speak of the beginning of time to our current time to future time. And he wants us to know these words. He wanted the church in Rome to know these words, to work out, to know them, to embrace them, to believe that this is the God whom they love and serve. And so all along, this is how he is getting his people ready. This is readiness as we know these words. We exercise, we train, and we know them. And so a great summary up to this point is this. Here's a great sentence. From the beginning of time into eternity, our God loves sinful people and invites all into a relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. That is the desire of our God From the very beginning, he has a love affair with broken, sinful people like you and me. He gives us real choices to follow after him because he loves us and he wants to have a relationship with him. This is the beauty of the good news. I mean, Paul is summarizing so many things here at the end of chapter 8. All right, so if that is our metaphor of practice and training and circuit training, I'm going to continue the metaphor in a little bit of a different way because Paul, now after these two verses, is now going to take us into a different setting of what I call the locker room. The locker room experience. Again, I've never played football, but in my stint of doing some youth ministry, I have been invited into locker rooms as the chaplain It's been fascinating locally, local high schools. I've been there in those moments. And the locker room is a great place because the locker room is that moment when you're ready to head out onto the field. And the coach gathers the team together and he's asking questions and he's, he's building momentum. And there's an excitement in the rhythm of the questions. And they're all rhetorical. I mean, they're questions like, are we gonna go out there and win? Are we going to go out there and rip somebody's head off? Are we going to go out there and let them disrespect us? I mean, there's this this locker room rhetorical question. And that's not the moment for you as a football player to raise your hand and say, "Um, I'm probably only going to give 50, 60% today, coach. I mean, that's not the moment for that. Why is that not the moment? Because you have been training, you have been exercising, you have been running sprints, you've been working yourself for this moment to get into the locker room so that you can then go out those doors and play the game. And there's power in the rhetorical question. And so Paul takes these five words of training, now he gives us five rhetorical questions of the locker room. He's getting us ready to go out and play the game. But before we do, he has some questions for us to answer. And so he says in verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? These things, this workout, what shall we say about all of these things that we've just talked about? What shall we say? Paul has some questions. And the first one is this. If God is for us, who can be against us? It's an obvious answer, right? I mean, if you know the words, if you've been working out in the circuit training and you know that before the foundations of the world, he called you and loved you, 
and he foreordained all of these things, and he has glorified you. I mean, if you know all of that, you embrace, then this question is really silly, isn't it? If God is for it, who can come up against that? No one. Nothing. Yes. And he's building this momentum in these questions. One of the early church fathers, his name was John Chrysostom. He lived right after the time of Jesus in the 300s, 400s. He has a great quote on this. It gives you a great perspective of how to face life and all of its difficulties. Because you might be sitting there thinking, well, life is hard. I'm, I'm failing at this and that. and Relationships are difficult and my health and all of these things. Notice this perspective. This is what he says. He says, yet those that be against us, so far are they from thwarting us at all. That even without their will, they become to us the causes of crowns and procurers of countless blessings. And that God's wisdom turneth their plots unto our salvation and glory. See how really no one is against us. It's beautiful. And still, we're looking at that quote 1,400 years later. Yes, this is exactly right. That even in the difficulties of life, we think those who are coming against us are really continuing the narrative of God being for us. Yes, there's suffering and difficulty. But in the grand scheme of things, who can be against us? No one. Question one. Question two. He continues in this. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Once again, it's not like we need to raise our hands on this. We know the answer. Why? Before the foundations of the world, he predestined us. He has given us and called us to his son. He has glorified us. He has given us everything that we really need. And so we sit back and we say, won't he, if he has given us that, isn't he going to take care of us like he takes care of the sparrows? Of course he will. The third question, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Charge against us? You got to be kidding me, right? You do know what he has done for us. His son has stepped in to take the charges. All of the charges are against him. He's like, yeah, I'll take that. Their sin, their guilt, it's on me. They believe in me. They're placing their trust in me. He has sent his son to take the charges. And even deeper than that, the fourth question, who is to condemn? You take the charges, but are you going to take the condemnation? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Our mantra is Romans 8.1. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's our mantra. Why? It goes back to the five words. From the beginning of time, he foreknew, he predestined, he is called, he is justified, he is glorified. He is the one who is taking the penalty for us. Who can condemn us? It's a silly question. Nobody. Nobody. I 
And then we get to the fifth question. It's almost as if the, it's like we're ready to run out the door onto the field. This fifth question is great. Paul says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Catch that. Who shall separate us from the love, the love, the love, the love that's been rooted in love. These five words, we've been training ourselves in love the whole time. And now he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? <laughs> you got to be kidding me. You got to be kidding me. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. I mean, there's a lot of heavy things in here. These, one of these must be able to separate us from the love of Christ. And the answer is no. They will not. They will not. And so all of this training and now all of these moments in the locker room we are now hearing these things shoulder to shoulder with our brothers and sisters in Christ who are on the same team. It's a great moment. Because the next moment is going to be us going out the door. We're going to go play the game. It's called life. We're going to run out onto the field of our families. We're going to run out onto the field of our workplaces and our schools. We're going to go run out into the city streets of Kent and reflect this story of love that we have been training in, that we have been hearing about, that we rally around. We now, it's like, who can keep us from taking this story to the world? This is what Paul is doing in this passage. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? This is a great story of what God is doing. See, we have a game to play. And it's not easy. There's going to be times we're going to get knocked down. We're going to have to get picked back up again. And we're going to get knocked down again. But we get picked up. And all the time we play this game. It's not like you're, the game you're going to watch tonight where you don't know the outcome. We already know the outcome of this. We play differently. Why? Because we have been glorified. Lovingly glorified. The same God who has done these things is calling maybe someone who's watching or someone in this room to join in. Let's be a part of the team of what God is doing. Only he, he, he can't, he's the only one that does these things. We don't. And maybe today he is calling you into that kind of relationship. We're going to spend some time as we wrap up and uh, reflect and we'll hear music, but maybe just a quiet moment to ready yourself even for communion and to ready ourselves to go out of these doors in a different way than when we came in. Let me pray for us. Dear Lord, we have gathered together as your people, and we are celebrating what we are studying right here. These five words and these five questions, they give us hope, they give us confidence, and for many who are here, who are watching, they give us assurance of the things that we know. And so I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, 
nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.